Welcome back to Faith FM. You have tuned into The Marriage Project, where we talk about biblical wisdom for marriage and how that translates into real life. I am Chapo. And I am Bethany. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. So what are we talking about this afternoon? Today on The Marriage Project, we're talking about falling in love. I'm not going to sing it. Why not? Doesn't it excite you? Doesn't it make you feel with song and joy in your heart? Have we been married for too long that you don't get a song anymore? (laughs) No, I, um, I like being in love. Okay. But I'm, I'm just not going to sing right now, if that's okay. Um, yes, but, you uh, have permission to so choose. We, so, we are falling in love, and we're talking a lot about the idea of love at first sight. That's Is that right? right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, we're going to talk about love at first sight. Is love at first sight in the Bible? Do we fall in love? Mm. And what makes love last? Okay. That sounds really good. So, let's get started. Awesome. All right. So, a lot of people believe that love is something that simply happens, that it is an accident, that it is a feeling, that it is a whim. And we see that portrayed in movies and in romantic literature and even in a lot of the visual content that we see around us in media of what love looks like and how love works. But is that actually what the Bible intends for marriages, for relationships and for love? Yeah, because what was actually happening for most couples in the times that the Bible was written was very, very different to this whimsical fantasy experience of boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl. That's right. And the story of what love is, what relationships are, and how two people come together has certainly changed over history, hasn't it? Absolutely. So, in biblical times in the ancient Near East, which is the time of the Old Testament, people had arranged marriages. Mm. And women were seen as property very much. Women were the property of the father's household and then went on to be the property of the husband's household and were transferred from one to the other. And along with a whole bunch of possessions, often these relationships and marriages were made to um, increase wealth, to increase community relationships and connections between two households and ties as well. Yeah. Now I'm going to stop you there very because different. because even though we're talking about marriage here, we've we've touched on something that is a very very important principle for Bible study. I think. So if you're a lady and you're listening to this and you're hearing about this idea that in you know the ancient uh, Jewish communities that women were seen as property and that you were someone's property to be maybe even traded or, or, you know, done in a deal or an alliance, then you might think, oh, yuck, I'm not property, I'm a human being, then we would agree with you. And I, mm-hmm. I just want to say that just because something is recorded in the Bible as having happened doesn't mean that it was God's ideal. And that's mm-hmm. a really important thing, a distinction to make, that just because this was happening and taking place and this was the mindset and the culture of the time doesn't mean that this is the way that God designed human beings to relate to one another. I love that. And the way that I've always thought about it in terms of when we study the Bible is that God didn't just make everything happen out of the blue, but God chose to step into and work with humanity. God didn't say, I'm just going to magically reveal myself on the street one day. God said, I am choosing a nation. And that nation starts with a man and that man's name is Abraham and I'm going into his world, which is very different from where I want to bless humanity, but that's where I'm going to. That's right. And so God comes down to us, and same as in the story of Jesus Christ, God comes down to us and is born in a dirty, disgusting manger because God is far and beyond and his ideals are very different from ours, but he comes into human history and at that point 
he intercedes and he makes radical changes and he tells us about the kingdom of God and what it's like. Yeah. Would you agree? Absolutely agree. Yeah. I just want to make it clear that there was never an intention on God's part that half of the human race would be property. Um, that was never an ideal of mm. God. And right from the creation story, Eve is called the helper, which isn't just the helper who helps Adam get his jobs done and makes him dinner and cleans the kitchen. And that's not at all what it's talking about. The word helper is actually a word that's used often in the Old Testament as reference to God, who is the helper of his people. Mm. It's a very important term. Um, it's not simply a, a secondary that's right. Status position. Yeah. Every other time that that word is, uh, is used, helper, it's referring to God and not to a human being. And it's when, or an army, when you're stuck in battle and you need help and you cry out, help, and then a rescuer comes in to help you. So that word is a connecto when it describes Eve is talking about a helper opposite, somebody who's opposite, someone who is equal, someone who can come alongside and can intervene in battle when you need a help, mate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very different picture to the way we would normally think, you know, oh, Adam needs someone to help him. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> Adam needs him to do his dishes now. Yeah, totally yeah. different story. Not that at all. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All yeah. right. So, we digressed. We did. Okay, so back to marriage in Bible times. It was an arranged marriage. Right. Most likely. Um, well, that was sort of the stand of, of their culture. And it's come along for hundreds, thousands of years of history. That was how marriage worked. And it wasn't until later on down the track when we got into different ways of society was set up, enlightenment, reformation, um, art, history, like all these periods where humanity opened right up, industrial revolution, and marriage became a different thing. So instead of like families all living together in that community, the world opened up and became bigger. So then you didn't need to have an arranged marriage as like a financial bartering system anymore yep. that it, and love became part of the story when art became part of the story so there's been a lot of changes in ideas and the way that the world operates sure. and now we have a Disney story which is like the opposite of that it's like yeah. magic or sparkles we are in love we now, took a dance and it was the best yeah, okay. <laughs> I think it, it's fair to say though that even though it was very common and it was probably the norm that arranged marriages happens there are love stories in the Bible yes there are stories ones. of people who fell in love people who um, married the, the wrong sister and then had to <laughs> do a deal to be able to marry the one that he actually loved later on and things like that. There are there are examples of love stories of people who just desperately desired to become one with this particular person Oh yeah, where it wasn't necessarily arranged. So you have jumped right ahead on our notes there, Chad. Well, no, I, I wasn't even looking at the notes. Were you? Okay. <laughs> so I've got a couple of stories in Scripture that you could look at and go, okay, well, that's in Scripture, so that means that the Bible talks about love at first sight. Right. And so one of those stories was Jacob and Rachel, which Chapo just talked about, somebody who wanted to marry someone and then accidentally married the wrong sister. Yeah, I always feel sad for Leah in that scenario, like... Yeah, oh, man. it is a real, and it is again one of those pictures of it didn't work out the best, but God did His best with that yep. circumstance as well. Because we often see in Scripture, whenever you have multiple wives, it really just makes your family messy, complicated, and a little bit ugly in yeah. dynamic. Yeah, and so in this situation, we've got Jacob who, when he goes to the well. We're often meeting women at the well in Scripture. Um, he sees this beautiful woman and he's in just in awe of her and he's like, I, that's the one, she's the one. Yeah. And he goes and he makes arrangements with her father and her father is dodgy as. And he says, yeah, work for seven years and you can marry her, no worries. 
And then on the wedding day, the bride is all covered up and it's not until after the wedding has happened, the marriage is consummated and he realizes I have married the wrong girl. And he's actually been tricked and married to the older sister. And the dad's like, yeah, well, I had to marry the older sister off before I could marry the younger one. That makes sense. And so then he has to work for another seven years in order to marry the woman that he truly loves. And that sort of comes down to the whole mindset that, hey, this is, this is a business transaction as much as it is, as it is a a union of love, you know, Mm -hmm. at least in that mindset. Um, now you just talked about the fact that Jacob went to the well. Yes. Um, Jacob isn't the only person who found a, wife at the well no so do you know the story of rebecca and isaac and the finding the wife at the well and not as well as you do (laughs) um and uh, yeah that's something that's true is like you're really good with your systematic theology and i know a lot more of the old testament stories and i I love story and that really speaks to my heart when i read scripture as well i struggle with the stories for me someone who didn't grow up a christian so not having that years of being a young person in church learning the bible stories as a kid i struggle to remember all these details about oh who married who and whose grandpa is who's whatever and you know that kind of stuff whereas you're a bit better with that than i am yeah systematic theology prophecy ecclesiology i'm good with that but all of the names and relationships and connections i really struggle with um (laughs) But I just wanted to quickly talk about the idea of the well. Because oh, the, right. Because why did they meet people? Was it, was it just a coincidence that that's where they, they both met ladies at the well? Well, it was traditionally the woman's job to collect the water, right? That's right. Yeah. And so... So, if you're looking for a lady, you would go to the place where the ladies are, which is at the well. Otherwise, they were in the home and it was harder to access them. Well, I don't know. That, I'm just saying, because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I tell single young guys. They're saying, oh, I really need a wife. I say, go to the well. You gotta go, you gotta go where the ladies are. So this system of finding the women at the well has really <laughs> changed because we now have taps inside our houses. That's so right. they've ruined the, the market of relationships. <laughs> That's right. Old yeah, Testament yeah. wise. Yeah. Uh, modern plumbing has <laughs> ruined relationship prospects for many godly young men because they, there's no longer wells in the middle of town. Ah, uh, so we, we have do to have find institutions other like Avondale College. Yes. Which is, it functions in a similar way to a well. And Chapo and I met at Avondale College, or Avondale College love story. People yep. say, hey, you're from Tasmania and he's from Tari. How on earth did you meet? And I'm like, have you heard of a place called Avondale? <laughs> that's right. We were both studying and then we fell in love. Well, that's a But nice it wasn't little- magical. No. Yeah. Oh, it's far from magical. Maybe we'll say how unmagical it was a little <laughs> bit later, but it is time for us to take a break. So we'll be back very soon right here on Faith FM. I know what love is and I want it. I know what love is and I need it so. When I'm deprived, I get tired. I think that's just the way I've been wired. I know how it speaks. I know how it treats me. I know it's touch and I need it so much. I know it's smile. I know the look in its eyes. I know that it's patient. I know that it's kind. And I need you. I know what love is and I need it so When I'm deprived I get tired I think that's just the way I feel wired I know it believes, I know the hope that it sees I know it will give its life for me I know its voice and what is lovely to me 
Though nothing stronger, it sounds like a melody. And I need you, love. And I miss you, love. How I need you, love. And I miss you, love. Tell me, how do we let you go? Welcome back to Faith FM. You've tuned in to The Marriage Project with Bethany and Chapo, where we talk about biblical wisdom for marriage and how it translates into real love. Today we're talking real about... Real life. Did I say real love? You said real love. Well, that sounds even more beautiful, it doesn't it? Yep. Real life. Yes. But we are talking about real life, real love today, aren't we, Chap? That's right. Yeah. So we're talking about falling in love and we're talking about love at first sight. And before the break, we were talking about how the well in scripture was a great place to try and find a woman that you wanted to marry because women collected water. And so if you were in the market, you'd go down to the well yeah. and check them all out. Is That's that right. how it works? <laughs> yeah. And what I love about the story... Only of- if you weren't already... Um, arranged to be married to someone because that was very common in the culture. So yes. remember that. So that was if, if you didn't have an arranged marriage, then you would be able to go to the well mm. to find a partner. Anyway. So what I love about the story of Rebecca and Isaac, and this is probably one of the most romantic love stories between a man and a woman in Scripture, apart from your Song of Solomon. Um, Rebecca and Isaac, Isaac is Abraham's son, remember? And Abraham has been called by God to go and live in a foreign land. And so he's been taken away from his family and he's living in the foreign land and he's building his wealth, his prosperity, his family's generations in that place. And his son has come to an age where he is to be married. And so he says to his servant, promise me that you will not take one of these local women to be the wife of my husband because of, of my son, sorry, mm. because I want him to have a wife who is a woman of God. And so he sends him back to find somebody who is a relative. There's a little bit of marrying your cousin in Genesis, yeah. um, <laughs> which was also common of that time. It was common of that time. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend that you do it today. No. Um, and so he actually sends this servant back and it's actually a really cool story because he says, how am I going to know that this is the right woman? And he says a prayer. And right when he prays, um, this woman comes and she draws water for him and all of his camels. Like this is a huge task and a very generous task and a very labor intensive task that she does for no reason other than the fact that the servant had just prayed about it. Yeah, well, that is very cool. And then so he goes, right, that's the one. That's Man, the wish, one. I wish you and I had a story like that. <laughs> that would be so much better than the real story. And so then he goes and meets her family and he gives her all the gifts and he brings her back home to meet Isaac after her family says, yes, you can go and yes, you can be married to him. And then when she is coming across the field, she sees him and he sees her and she's like, who is this man? And the servant says, that's the one that you're going to marry. And then it even says that he loved her. And it doesn't always say for every marriage in scripture that he loved her. And so that's a really big romantic Bible story there. You can find that one in Genesis 29. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's interesting. So Mm. look, 
because we are talking about the idea of love at first sight in the Bible. Mm. Just before we look at any more examples, do you even think love at first sight is a real thing? Because some people say that it's a common phrase. It's what everyone really wants to happen. Do you think it's real? Mm, I think that there's probably a better word for it than love at first sight. Okay. Yeah. So, I really... You want to jump ahead down there because that's further down in my notes. Did you just wing that? (laughs) 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 Um, So, yeah, I think that there's better words for what we could call love at first sight. Right. I think that you can have infatuation at first sight. I think you can be incredibly drawn to another person at first sight. You can be attracted to them. You can feel an intensity between the two of you, like almost like you could cut that tension like it was physical in the room. I think that you can be intrigued, you can be mesmerized, and you can certainly feel lust at first sight and strong sexual attraction to another person at first sight as well. Yeah. Yeah, but love, like at least, and I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone because I'm sure there are some people out there who have this amazing story when they just saw this person and as soon as they saw them, they knew that it was the right one. But for me, I yeah, I think lust at first sight would be quite you know, common, attraction at first sight, very common, but love is something you have to develop. Love is something that grows out of, um, yeah, time, connection. And I think that you can certainly, like, there's definitely people that you hit it up with straight away compared to other people. And that's in both genders and not necessarily in romantic partners either, just people in general. Some people you're just like, it was so great hanging out with them. Other people you're just like, Oh, I have to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> you really don't want to. <laughs> well, because I think there is only one real example in all of human history mm. where it was completely love at first sight. Oh, right. And I reckon that's the Adam and Eve story. Well, you've got in the Adam and Eve story the only time I believe in history where one person is specifically created for the other person and to be the other person's half. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the story, Adam is alone. God says, this is not okay. This is not good for men to be alone. Adam gets put to sleep. God removes one of his ribs, and from that rib, he forms Adam. Now, as Adam is probably waking up and feeling a little bit wiped out, it says that God brought Eve to him. It was like, here, have a look at this. And Adam straight away bursts into poetry in Genesis um, chapter 2, 23, and he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And... That's not something to be read. You know, that is a poem that is he is singing. He bursts out into sweet poetry. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He is so overwhelmed and so in love with this thing that has been brought to him mm-hmm. um, that he just cracks out into song straight away. Mm, and he's like, at last, this yeah. is the one. Yeah. She is mine. That's right. She's everything that I thought she would be and that I hoped for. Yeah, he's looking around. He's like, the kangaroo, no. <laughs> the goanna, no. This is not an elephant, no. And then he sees Eve and he's like, this is the one. Mm, mm. I will call her woman. Yes. And so when we are looking throughout even other biblical marriages, when we see other marriages and how they work in Scripture, Adam and Eve really is the the number one biblical model for marriage. Mm. And all the other marriages, sort of like, how do you compare to that ideal of what God created in the first place of marriage? Yeah. So, I would say that the only way that I could justify the idea of love at first sight is maybe if you were stranded on a desert island for six months and then eventually someone else 
appears on the island and then you were like, oh, finally. <laughs> like, but anyway. <laughs> but then would there be the idea that God had brought that person to the island to be your other half of a person to come yeah. together with you so that you could become one? Could be. Mm. And the other thing that you need to remember as well is that Adam and Eve's day that they met is also their wedding day. So it's a bit like married at first sight, which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think is a ridiculous concept because like, it's like they have all this drama and they talk about how it is to be wife and husband with each other. They have actually got no commitment in that show compared to what a real marriage really is like. That's right. Compared to what an arranged marriage really is like where you actually are in a binding contract with somebody that you just met. That's right. Very different. Yeah. Um, but you're right, they were married. They were brought together to become one on the first day they met, mm. on her first day of existence as a human being. Um, but then their first day they spent together after being a married couple was the Sabbath, which mm. is one of the reasons why we chose to get married on a Friday. That's right. One of the many reasons. Um, but was so that just like Adam and Eve, we would spend our first day together as husband and wife Mm. Um, on the Sabbath day, which is a special day for us. Now, I believe that biblically that that marriage union, that covenant, that commitment that you make together, that what Genesis talks about to becoming one flesh, I believe that that is what makes you one, is what makes you um, together, is what makes you for each other, is what makes you soulmates. Because that idea of soulmates is tied up in this idea of falling in love as well. And I really want to put out there that there could be multiple people that are for you. There could be multiple options that are for you. But once you make that marriage connection, you've decided to make that person the one. And I love how Song of Songs put it, I have found the one that my soul loves. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there's like an apple tree in a forest full of ordinary trees is my love. So there's all these trees and I could have picked any tree, but this one to me is like an apple tree. Yes. Amongst a bunch of boring, normal trees. And in marriage, because God has given us marriage as a gift, we elevate our spouse above any other person that we could have chosen. In the world around us. That's right. We elevate our spouse above any other family member, above any other work colleague, above any other social interaction that we have, above any other good-looking person that we pass on the street. We've married them and then elevated them to that spot that God has ordained as our person for our life. Did you agree? I totally agree. Yeah. We're going to talk a bit more about falling in love and love at first sight as we go on, but it's time for us to take a break. Mm -hmm. We'll be back very soon here on Faith FM. The human soul can be filled with regrets We never forget where we've gone wrong Almighty God stands ready to forgive All of our things in a crimson flood It is so you in depravity, needing your mercy even in my first hour. I'm proof the cross is as able today as when 
Welcome back to Faith FM. You are listening to The Marriage Project with Chaplain Bethany. And this afternoon, we have been talking about falling in love, love at first sight, and some of the Bible examples of the Mm. way that love played out in that time. Yes. So, it's really important when, even when we look at biblical, um, what's the word, biblical models of marriage, biblical couples, that Adam and Eve is what we are talking about when it comes to the ideal of what it means to be married people and in a marriage relationship, right? Okay. So I was doing a bit of Googling and researching of what other Christian websites thought were examples of marriage at first sight or love at first sight. So sorry. That, that's the ideal. <laughs> I the so, <laughs> <laughs> so Adam and Eve are the ideal. Yeah. So ideally to have a successful marriage, you would be the only two people that exist. Yeah, that were specifically <laughs> created for each other okay. and then you were married for life and you would mate for life like swans. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so then you've got um, another example that is given that I was looking through was David and Abigail. Right. Now, King David is like a whole other story of get multiple wives, make a big mess of your life. Yeah. Right? Um, he just... He really took living that king life to the next level in his relationships. But it's such a cool story because he totally messed up so many parts of his life, but he was still loved by God and used by God to do incredible things for the Jewish people. So yes. it's such a great story of grace and redemption and, and just God using raw us humanity. In, our, in our messiest states. God still says, they belong to me and I yes. can work with that. So one example that some people believe is love at first sight is David and Abigail. Which is kind of a cool story. Do you know much about Abigail? Not a lot. Okay. So, Abigail is this woman who is known as being a wise woman. And her husband offended the king by saying, no, we're not going to look after your troops when they come across our land. And then she realized, hey, my husband has done something really stupid and offended the king. And so, she says, no, 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 you are welcome in my household. And she provides a feast for them and water for their camels and all the supplies that they need. And it shows that she is very hospitable, that she is very generous, that she is very wise, and that she goes on to equip all of the king's soldiers to be able to continue in battle. And David notices the kind of woman that she is, and he admires the kind of woman that she is. Obviously, she's married. Now, David makes a smart choice this time. He doesn't make a smart choice every time. And he waits until this woman's marriage is no longer because her husband actually dies. Now, I can't remember who killed him or how it worked out, but... But it anyway, wasn't David this time. It wasn't David okay. this time. <laughs> David wasn't responsible this time. And then, so her second marriage after her husband has died is to David. Okay. And it is seen biblically as a really good and strong marriage and that she is seen as a really positive and strong and wise and godly woman as well. And so, but I wouldn't, I would say that you're really sort of pulling at straws to say that it's love at first sight. Yeah. Exactly with these two. And also, like, I don't know if it would be mutual because she already has a husband. So I don't even know if she's even thinking about David in that way. Maybe she thought, hey, this king's good looking. Yeah. But-, <laughs> but still, I like the idea, though, because I think it's closer to the way that I would st- understand real love to work. It's not this, that he sees her and be like, oh, yeah, I want to marry her. He recognizes what a just a quality woman she is. Like, she's just a really servant-hearted wonderful lady, I would love to be partnered with someone like that, which I think is a totally different um, Mm -hmm. understanding of love at first whatever. At first whatever. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, and just thinking about um, what you said about like, oh, she's a good-looking woman, I want her. How well did that work out for Samson? Oh, he saw a good-looking woman and he said to his dad, get that one, get Bring me that one to me. marry. Yeah. And it was a total disaster on more than one occasion yeah. <laughs> that it just ruined his life, his attraction to women who weren't godly women and who he chose because of the way they looked on the outside. So David made a good choice with Abigail. Yes, but he made a bad choice with Bathsheba. Now, I wanted to point this out because this particular Christian um, blog that I was reading said that David and Bathsheba was an example of love at first sight. And it even, I quote, said that David... Um, that sorry, that Bathsheba was predestined to be David's Ooh. wife, and I felt really ugly about that because I genuinely believe that what happened between David and Bathsheba should be, by today's terminology, described as abuse and rape. He sees her; she is vulnerable. And he is in a position of power and she is a person who is not a person of wealth and he seizes her, takes her. The word is that he takes her. When the prophet confronts him later on, it says that she is taken just like the sheep is stolen like sheep from the neighbor. Stolen from a neighbor yeah. And then David goes out to cover up his sinister track work when she becomes pregnant to the point of making sure that her husband is killed in the front lines of battle. So it is a really ugly story. It is a really sad story of how... This beautiful king who was a man after God's own heart has this period where he falls from grace and has to come back into alignment with what God wants for his life yeah. as well. I always have so much respect for Nathan the prophet in that story, oh. the, the guy who was just so tough and brave and was like, I've got to give the message that God has given me to share, yes. even though the consequences could be drastic to mm. go before a king and say, you have sinned mm. and your life is not okay. And mm. you need to make it right. Like, I, yeah, what, a, yeah. what an amazing guy. And I, I also just want to acknowledge that in situations of abuse and of violence, that it is never predestined by God that that should happen to somebody. Yep. The scripture says over and over again that God is for the orphan, for the widow, for the oppressed. And so God wants to liberate and to bring life into people's lives who have been victims and not cause them any further harm. And I don't believe that God... Pre- predestines us to be in harm's way ever ever that is the work of the enemy that's right um so something that i want to know though do you think that scripture predestines us to love someone oh the scripture does mm, that god predestines us that to god love does. someone yeah yeah sorry that god predestines us to love someone oh, i don't know because you know getting around church circles and with other christians you people have the idea that well god just haven't hasn't brought that person into my life yet and mm. you know there's someone out there for me there's someone out there for you yeah. I don't know. What do you think, think that's true? Do you think that's a fairy tale? I don't know. Um, I, I struggle. Well, when you think about that idea of like, there's someone out there that's just for you, does that come under to the, um, lines of predestination in terms of theology? Yeah, probably. Cause I don't believe in predestination. I believe in human free will and choice. And I believe that sometimes God intervenes and steps in blatantly in human history. And sometimes God doesn't. And both is okay. Mm. Would you agree or disagree? I also believe God has plans for our lives and God yes. loves us deeply and is concerned with every even minor detail of our life, especially something as big as the person that we choose to be connected to, you know, for the rest of our life. So I think God is a big part of it. Yeah. And I think there's no reason why we couldn't say that God brings someone along your path to to be joined to. But I can't there's no Bible verse that tells us that this is how it works. Mm. I think I don't think it's outside the realm of God, but I don't think there's any clear indication to say that this is exactly what happens and you can bank on it. Just sit tight. 
God's going to bring that person along. <laughs> Have you um, seen the movie Ever After? Probs not. I've watched it no. with the kids. It's one of my favourite versions of Cinderella ever. It's the Drew Barrymore version of Cinderella. It's called okay. Ever After. And the prince is having this, like, great phil- philosophical conversation about love on the beach where he's trying to figure out how does love work and how do you know if you have found the one? And he says, if two women happen to be walking along the beach and you were to run into them, is it that you simply ran into the first one first and then she became your love or is it that... If you had have met the second one first, that she would have been the one and you just happened to meet the first one first and then you've ruined everything. And he's having this really big conundrum. And then he's like, and then what if one of them dies? Which one of them was meant to be your love in the first place? And there's even people in scripture who go to Jesus and say, well, if this woman has multiple husbands, who's going to be her husband in heaven? And they try to trick Jesus, remember? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And I think of all of the, all of the, you know, the, the teenage and adolescent prayers. God, please make her like me. I like her so bad. Oh, just man. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say if you're in that boat where you're desperately asking God to make somebody love you, that it is, I'm so glad that God didn't answer yes to those prayers that I prayed as a young person because there were some people that I thought were for me. And that they were for me and that God just needed to bless that and anoint that and sanctify that. And their eyes to what you believe Make it happen. But God had something better in store for me in marrying you. Oh, yes. That is good. (laughs) But you, because you didn't even like me at first. No. You saw me and were like, nah. (laughs) Pass. Well, I don't know. You had long hair. So, it was like a bit of a like... Mm, I wasn't. Very that. long hair. Very long Big, hair. Curly, long hair. So I was just like, long hair guy, no thanks. Like that wasn't one of my list of like hot guy things that I was looking for back okay. in the day in my list of, I don't know, you had a list. You had like plays violin and I played <laughs> violin. Yeah. yeah, that was on my list. But yeah, long hair was not on my list. Tall, dark and handsome. Now, you do fit that category, but oh. you didn't, um, yeah, the long hair sort I'm of blushing. threw me. Are you? <laughs> um, and I don't know, like, I was, uh, at the time when I met you, I was really praying a lot and journaling about this other guy that right. I was sure that God was meant to bless us into a blossoming love relationship. And so, my interests were far off. They were elsewhere. Yes, that is correct. And I met this guy and you were also wearing that, you know, that beige jacket that you have that you reckon you get heaps of compliments on that I think looks like a homeless one. I just thought like, "Mm," you just like weren't very stylish to me. And you had joggers and jeans and I disapproved of that. I was pretty vain back then. So, um, those were all of the things that said no to me. Yep. But I grew on you. You did. And do you know, I think that's one of the most wonderful things about our relationship was is that we were friends for a really long time. Yeah. And that friendship means that we have a connection beyond just physical attraction because let's be honest, 80-year-olds aren't like super physically attractive, so beauty fades. And also that it goes beyond like lust and the moment and those sort of things because friendship is the kind of thing that you can fall back on when life gets tough. Yeah. And we've had that yeah. in our life. We've- and if you are 80 and listening to this, then <laughs> sorry for Bethany's comments. About- if you're 80 and hot, that's cool. You can send me a headshot. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I've never been 80, so I might find you very attractive as an 80-year-old man looking at my 80-year-old wife. Yeah. And I hope that I look across 
at the pillow in the morning at you and go, oh, put your false teeth in, hun, so that you can smile at me. I can see your beautiful right. smile because I love you. We need to cut this out. We yeah, derailed. We need to take a break. We'll be back soon here on Faith FM. We've got this hope. We've got a future. We've got the power of the resurrection living within. We've got this hope. We've got a promise that we are held up and protected in the palm of His hand. And even when our hearts are breaking, even when our souls are shaking, oh, 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 we've got this hope. Project here on Faith FM. You're listening to Bethany and Chapo. Today we've been talking about love at first sight and falling in love and soulmates and being destined for one another. And we've had some interesting conversations and a few tangents, I will say. A few. Uh, just a few. But I want to bring it back in and I want to talk about, as we sort of wrap up the things we've been talking about today, what makes marriage last? Mm. Hmm. Do you know the answer? No. We haven't been married for our, we've been, we, ma- we have managed to stay married, for, but we've still got the long game ahead of us. Hey, hon. Yeah. This is, at the end of this year, we'll be 12 years married. Hmm. That's pretty cool. It's a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Um, so I'm not going to claim to be an expert on what makes love last, but I will say that so far we've made it last yeah. and that's pretty great. So I want to just point out a few things in scripture that I think makes love last. Okay. 
So the first one is mutuality that makes marriage last. Okay. So what I mean by that is mutual submission, mutual pleasure, and mutual life goals. Okay. Yeah. So Ephesians chapter 5 talks about mutual submission. Often we look at that whole passage of scripture in terms of whose job it is to do what and whose role it is to do what and we try and tell each other you're the man you're supposed to do this you're the woman you're supposed to do this but what i want to make clear is that whole passage of scripture before it tells us about our different roles in our relationship it says to all christians and both parties in a marriage yep. ephesians chapter five twenty one, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah, submit to one another. Yeah, so both parties have to submit to one another. Both people in a marriage have to submit to one another. And that means, like I said to my six-year-old, sometimes we get to eat your favorite dinner and sometimes we get to eat mine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that it goes on to say submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Mm. this is part of your own disciple, like part of my obligation as a Christian man, as someone who loves Jesus and wants to honor Jesus in my life, is submitting to you. Mm. Mm. And marriage is, hey, marriage is um, that growth as a spiritual person and in our discipleship journey that God tells us to love each other. And if you are a married person in a marriage relationship, then you get to figure out what that looks like up close and personal. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're a single person, you still get to figure that out, but in a different way. Um, so mutual submission is really important. What that means is that sometimes we need to make sure that we're putting the other person first. We're putting their needs first. We're putting their values first. We're putting um, their desires first because we love Jesus and because we love that person. Yeah. And look, you know, you hear the term thrown around a lot, who wears the pants? Um, you know, with the idea that the men should wear the pants or if it's or if it's the other way around, well, the woman's wearing the pants and the idea. I, I think both of the terminology is just stupid. I think it's ridiculous. I think that according to this and for a strong biblical marriage is we're wearing one leg of the pants each. You know, we're both, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, and we're, we're moving in, along together. In biblical times, pants weren't even invented. That was a right. <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying. I was trying to just use the analogy to, oh, sorry. to paint but a yeah, picture. I'll share a pair of pants with you, hon. No worries. Um, all right. So the next one that I wanted to talk about in terms of mutuality is mutual pleasure. Okay. And in First Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about um, the nature of uh, married people's sex life. It talks about how we need to submit to one another in love in terms of our needs for each other. That it's not just about I want, I want, I want. It's about fulfilling one another's needs. It's about treating and surrendering your body to the other person and both of you doing that, both of you seeking pleasure in one another, both of you seeking delight in one another, both of you seeking joy in one another, both of you seeking to give generously to yeah. one another. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it uses the word do not deprive each other yeah. of sexual intimacy. Like, And sometimes it could be used as a tool or a manipulative tool or for whatever reason yeah. in relationships. So don't put it in the reverse. Don't put it in the reverse of you need to meet my needs, but put it in your own faith commitment and say, well, how can I meet your needs? How can I be generous? To you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And the third one is mutual life goals. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about not being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Right. And what does it mean when it talks about yoked? Well, no one knows, really, because we yolks? think of the egg yolks, right? And they try to figure out, hey, what's an egg yolk got to do with a relationship? It's a different word, though. Like, it's got an L in it. But this yeah. is why you're a cake. That's right. Which has yeah. got nothing to do with eggs. It is the, what is it? It's like a shackle that would bond together two beasts, like two ox. Beasts. I like that word. (laughs) So that they would walk together in tandem. 
and the to idea, plow to plow. Yes. Yeah. So you get double the the beast power on your plow. If yes. you're a farmer and you know more about this, then please feel free to ring in and tell us what we've said wrong about the way that yokes and cows work. But the idea was that you know if 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 they're two different heights or if they're going in opposite directions, it's just going to not work. You you cannot move forward in the same direction unless you both have the same goals and the same objective outcome. Yeah, so I believe it's really important to have those values-based conversations with your spouse to talk about what are your dreams about the future? How do you imagine us as an old couple? What sorts of things do you think about in our life in that time? How do you imagine us as parents? What do you think we're going to do? How would you like to raise our children? What do you think God is asking us to do in the future? How are we going to serve God? All of those things are really important things to be dreaming about in your relationship. In that context, Paul is specifically talking about an unbeliever, you know, being unequally yoked to a believer. But even two believers could be unequally yoked, I think, like if they had just completely different desires, life goals, things they wanted to accomplish where they just pulled each other in opposite directions. Mm. Um, and, so, again, it just, yeah. Yeah, make sure you have those conversations and make sure you're pulling in the same direction. Yeah, cool. The second thing that I think makes marriage last is acting in love even when you don't feel like it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What do you reckon about that? Like um, winky faces and nice texts and giving flowers. (laughs) Is that what you mean by acting in love? Those are probably great things to help build your relationship. (laughs) Thank you. You can send me some of those wink faces if you want and give me flowers. I don't mind. Um, But more than that, like we were talking about earlier, that Love isn't just something that we accidentally fall into or that happens to us. Biblically, that word for love, agape, is a doing word. It's a verb. It's an action. That's right. And it needs action put to it. Yeah. Which is why I don't feel comfortable with the term love at first sight. I feel comfortable with connection or infatuation or attraction at first sight. But love is a doing word. And you can't do love at first sight, because that's just what your eyes are doing. Yep. Love is about your whole self and your attitude towards a person, what it looks like, how you behave in love. That's right. Like I've heard people say, oh, look, I told her I loved her on our wedding day. If anything changes, I'll let her know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't need to tell her all the time, but you do. <laughs> you do. You need yeah. to say it often. You need to show it often. Even if you, and this is the thing, like we've been married, you know, 11 and a half years almost. We don't always feel in love. Nope. Like I love you. But I don't always have romantic, gushy feelings of, uh, of you know, but there are times that I do. It's like mm-hmm. an up and down roller coaster where I'm just so, so grateful for the woman that you are and that you are my wife and that we are together and I just adore you and just want to be with you and look at you and that like, but there are times where it's just, you're stressed out, life goes on and you lean back on your friendship and your partnership, but you don't have those huge romantic feelings, but you still got to show your love in that time. Mm. even when you're not compelled to buy flowers every day and, you know, write songs and things like that. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes we think that showing love is those big things like cards and flowers and Valentine's Day. I love how John Gottman put He puts it, successful long-term relationships are created through small words, small gestures, and small acts. It's those little things that build over a long time. Yeah, that sounds to me like it's the culture of the relationship more than the big grand gestures. I like that word. It's the it's the, the things that become normal, those small gestures, those small acts that are repeated and constant as opposed to buying you a car and it's really <laughs> big. And, well, why, why are you treating my lease? I bought you that car last year or whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's rather it's the doing the dishes together. It's sending a text in the middle of the day 
to say, I love you and I hope you're having a good time and things like that. Like those small things that actually create a positive and strong culture. Mm, Yes, absolutely. And I think like often we can have a whole bunch of interactions that don't show love as well. Like we can do those big gesture things like I bought you a car or I told you I loved you three years ago. What's the problem? But often we just can have parallel lives living alongside one another, um, interactions about the day-to-day, the whose turn it is to do what, what's happening with the kids, who's going with where. But we don't necessarily take the time out to put in those habits of showing each other love. And it's really important to do that. And if you let it go on for too many days or weeks or months, you've got yourself into a loveless marriage. And it's really important to fight that. Really important to fight that because it happens bit by bit and And you suddenly find yourself there. Yeah. Yeah. And often not intentionally. That's right. Life is busy. Things are stressful. You keep on sacrificing your connection with your spouse Mm. because everything else is more urgent and more pressing. And then, yeah, you find yourself in a place where you never wanted to be. Yeah, and nobody. You don't know how to get out of. That's right. Nobody gets up on their wedding day and is like, yeah, I think eventually I'm just going to sleep in a different bed for my spouse and we're going to just say goodbye to each other in the mornings and send each other to do lists, but we're not really going to have that much of a connection. Mm-hmm. We make all of these grand commitments and grand gestures and grand vows and grand ideas, but it's not in the saying of them that we build a loving relationship. It's in the doing of them that we yeah. build a loving relationship. Oh, I like that. We have been talking about love, falling in love, love at first sight, and how to maintain love, how to make love last. And something that we haven't talked about yet, particularly in marriage, is that out of outside of all of this other stuff, is that one of the words that the Bible uses for a marriage is the word covenant. Mm, that's a fancy word, chat. What does covenant mean? <laughs> covenant. So, in the Bible, there are all different kinds of partnerships, partnerships in family, partnerships in business, and there's also the partnership between God and his people, right? God and the nation of Israel, even God and individuals. There's there's these partnerships, like God and Abraham had a partnership. And to seal that partnership, they create something called a covenant. Now, the covenant is basically just a really fancy you know, like nice word for an agreement. When you think of a covenant, think of two hands coming together and one hand is reaching out saying, I agree to do this to maintain our partnership. And the other hand reaches out and I also agree to do this for our partnership. And they meet in the middle and they shake. And that is the covenant. That is them both saying, we agree to do these things so that our partnership remains strong. In the Bible, is it a handshake or is it a dead thing? What do you mean a is it like, is it usually to do with blood or something dying that oh. makes a covenant? Like that seals it? Like sealed with blood? Like, is it like <laughs> when you both cut your hands and then do a shake? Like, is it more I like- don't think that the blood oath, the blood pact, <laughs> like you would see in, you know, teenage movies. I don't think that is in the Bible so much. Um, there just- are different sacrifices and stuff like that, that, that took place and there was building a, a stone altar to, uh, to remember a covenant that was made and things like that, but not so much. The word covenant just in its general meaning is that agreement of I, I will agree to, to do this and mm. you are agreeing to doing that so that this partnership will be strong. That's the idea of what a covenant is. And as married people, we came under a covenant. We mm. are in a covenant between each other, but also between us and God that we will do the best that we can do to look after what he has brought together in our relationship. Mm. What God has brought together, let no man separate. So we are agreeing as the two of us to God, we are going to work at this but I'm also agreeing to you in this covenant that I will do the things that I need to do to keep our relationship strong and you are saying the same thing back to me. That's the idea of covenant. 
Mm. And you find that um, in Genesis, in that ideal relationship with me, between Adam and Eve as well, you find that in those words, um, leave and cleave, that they leave their original family and they cleave to one another, they're joined to one another in marriage, and they create a new union and a new bond and a new family. And yep. that's what that covenant is, right? That's right, yeah. I don't recommend that people on their wedding day cut their hands and shake hands in front of everyone. For, you might get blood uh, in your Yeah, it would be all sorts of messy. It would be something different, though. <laughs> like, it certainly would have people talking about it. Remember that wedding, but... Still. I was just thinking of like, um, because Jesus died and that was a covenant and that was Jesus' blood. And then the Abraham one, there was all those dead animals. Yes. <laughs> so I was just like, is it, is it a blood thing? Well, that, that's a, that was always a part of it and, and a representation of it. But yeah, we were just talking about <laughs> the understanding of what a covenant is. You took it somewhere else, but okay. that's okay. So I love you. Something that's really cool, thanks, I love you too, is in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, it's really beautiful. So um, God makes this covenant, this promise that he intends to keep with Abraham, and Abraham does likewise. And there's these, there's this path of gross chopped up animals that they have to walk through as a sign that they're going to keep it and not break it. And God walks through to show that he's going to keep it and not break it. And then it's Abraham's turn to walk through, and do you know what happens? What happens? Abraham falls to sleep. Right. And God walks through a second time. It's just a really beautiful picture of how God knows that even when we intend to keep our promises, sometimes we stuff up. Yeah. And there is abundant grace and mercy for that. That is very cool. And there is room for that in the covenant that God makes to us on his side, which is so beautiful. And I think we need to remember that in marriage as well, that we need to not keep the record of the wrong things that our partner is doing all the time, but that we need to have grace and mercy that extends for the times when they don't measure up to our expectations or when they don't keep the promises in the way that we hoped that they would. Yeah. Yeah, because in that covenant language is something, and, and we could do a whole, um, you know, radio show just on this idea. But that, Write that down. But that the idea of marriage between a man and a woman, was supposed to show the world. It was like this mini version of what the relationship between God and humanity is like. Mm. There's supposed to be this picture, this glimpse into what it looks like. We are called the bride of Christ in Revelation, that we are his chosen you know, partner, that he loves us. And the book of Hosea gives all these examples of how the people of God and are like the, you know, the wife of God, and we keep on doing the wrong thing, but he's always there waiting for us to come back. But it's a really cool thing. And when you think about your marriage like that, it's like this little, um, uh, like little model, little model version of the love that God has for humanity, the relationship he wants to have with people. It even compels us even more to protect it and look after it and make it special. Mm, absolutely. Oh, just another thought, though, because you said that covenants are always about death and blood and animals and stuff like that. <laughs> Not always, because there was the rainbow. Oh, yeah. That was the sign of the covenant um, that God made with Noah after he flooded the earth, and he gave the rainbow, which is far more beautiful than, a, not than a bleeding goat or, or sheep <laughs> or ox. Yeah, it was heaps of cut in half animals with Abraham, so the rainbow is definitely prettier. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I really love the way that John Gottman puts it when he talks about making marriages last. He says, you can spend a lifetime being curious about the inner world of your partner and being brave enough to share your own inner world and never be done discovering all that there is to know about each other. That's really cool. Isn't that beautiful? And I think that if we approach our marriage partner in curiosity, that we will never be done loving them and we'll never be done learning about them because, and we have learned this in the negative way, 
We can't read each other's minds. Can you read my mind? I've tried. Do, <laughs> do you oh. know why I'm cranky when I'm cranky? Never. <laughs> takes me ages to figure it out. And so the opposite of that way is that we can always have curiosity. We can always seek to understand more about what our partner is thinking about and dreaming about and and have curiosity towards their inner world and yeah. build on loving them as they are and showing up for them yeah. every day of their lives. We have really enjoyed being with you again this afternoon. We wish you nothing but love and graciousness and mercy and happiness and joy in your own relationships and your own marriages and we look forward to being back with you again next week 